Please pray with me. Almighty God, we do come before you this evening to worship you and to celebrate your grace in the context of the life of St. Mary the Virgin, the mother of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we pray that as we look at her, we would see her as she always is, pointing away from herself to her son and to you, O Father. And we pray that you would bless our time this evening as we draw close to you, draw near to us. Amen. Would you be seated? Well, good evening. My name uh, is Benji Davis. I am your rector here, and I haven't preached since July 2nd. So I'm excited. This is wonderful. I won't even be preaching again this coming Sunday. So this is, this is like a little, I mean, I feel like a child that's been cooped up in school all day and is waiting to get out in the playground. I have really missed uh, preaching and, and just being with you all as, as we've kind of been traveling and in and out over the summer. But go ahead and turn with me, if you would, to our gospel lesson from Luke chapter 1, the Gospel of Luke chapter 1, and to the passage that Father Kelly just read for us, which begins there in verse 46. This portion of Scripture is called the Magnificat, and its name is derived from the opening words of Mary's hymn, of course in Latin, because anything, anything worth saying should be said in Latin, I guess. <laughs> but it comes from those opening words of Mary's hymn. I won't try to butcher the Latin, but my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. You know, I couldn't get past those two sentences in my prayer and preparation. They're so chalked full of just the power of a life marked by the grace of God. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And I think they provide for us the means by which we can encounter and celebrate the grace of God on full display in the context of the life of St. Mary the Virgin, the mother of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by them also be challenged as disciples of Jesus Christ to live a life marked by a giving of ourselves away towards God's will, marked by humility, marked by a confidence in the grace of God, and of his favor. In these two opening sentences, Mary says, in essence, that my total self, all that I am, joyfully magnifies you. Nothing's held back. No part of me kept in reserve. No little secret corner here. All that I am. My life, my soul, my spirit, everything. The language here of my soul is not referring to some immaterial aspect of the human person. Rather, it embraces the whole of human life. Of course, this is the word that Jesus uses in Mark chapter 8 and elsewhere when he says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his... What? You know it. What is it? Life. My soul, my life, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will find it. And Mary doesn't just simply rely on this one word to communicate that her entire person is drawn up in this magnifying of God, of making him great. She goes one step further in that parallel sentence there. She goes a little deeper when she says, My spirit 
rejoices in God my Savior. She is saying that the deepest part of her inner self joyfully, joyfully magnifies or makes much of God. So not only what we might say the totality of life, we might think of that as just our physical life, our, our soul in that sense, just our, our body, soul kind of thing, but Mary wants to go a little bit deeper. My spirit, my innermost person, the deepest parts of me are drawn up into this amplification of God in my life. And that's exactly what she does here. And that's what it is to magnify. That's what magnify means here. It literally means my soul makes great the Lord. Or my soul enlarges the Lord. And of course, God cannot be any bigger, as if God occupies time, space, as we might think. But he can be enlarged in one's life, making him more visible, more present to those who encounter the one whose life, whose total self and every aspect of life magnifies him. You've encountered those people. If you have a background like mine, you might have said they were on fire for the Lord. You might have called it something else. You might have said something else. Of course, in the history of the church, we identify these folks as the saints. Of course, we're all saints, but we set these folks apart who have lived the life of discipleship in such a way where they give their whole selves over to God. And this is what we see in Mary's life. Her entire person is drawn up into this magnifying of God. And this is the beauty, of course, of Mary's life. And we are at a disservice for many of us that come from the evangelical world. We've put her away in a box. I was reading a book, and uh, the author said, Mary's like your mother when you're a teenage boy or a teenage girl, and you don't want to be seen with her at school. And so if she's got to come pick you up because you're sick, you want to ask her to walk out in front of you or behind you, and you don't want to be associated. You might be a little sick. So we're a little bit scared of Mary. We don't want to be seen with her a bit here. And we've done a disservice. We have no problem with Ruth. We have no problem with the nameless woman of Proverbs 31. We have no problem with, with Rahab. But Mary's life is a beautiful one that we should look at and gaze upon and celebrate God in the context of it. Because she reveals to us that even a poor, young Jewish woman from a reviled backwater town, a nobody from a non-place can magnify the Lord. Can make him great in the eyes and the lives of others. And she's been doing that for two millennia. And Mary marks, and Mary makes much of God here because he has poured out his grace upon her life. Of course, this is what is meant by the angel Gabriel when he greets her earlier in Luke chapter 1, saying, O favored one, this is where we get the language, Mary, full of grace, O favored one, full of grace. And what is the sign of being favored by God, of being full of his grace? Well, Gabriel answers it in the next clause. He says, O favored one, the Lord is with you. That's the mark of God's grace in our lives. It's his presence. The Lord is with you. And for Mary, the presence of God becomes intensely personal and real. 
She becomes the first Christ bearer. This is what the history of the church, the early church fathers recognized her as the first and the prototype of a disciple. She's the first disciple, the first Christ bearer. She bears the Son of God in her virginal womb. And by the overshadowing Spirit of God, she conceives the Son of God in her womb and gestates the incarnation of God in human flesh. And from that womb, she gives birth to Emmanuel, God with us, her Son, Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer, our King. Her life magnifies the Lord. And that's why from, more, from Elizabeth, who's inspired by the Spirit of God, just in this context of this passage, she's called blessed. Blessed are you, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. That's why Mary, even on her own lips, it seems almost scandalous that she would say this. I will be called blessed among all women. I will be called blessed. Her life magnifies the Lord. Like a magnifying glass, she brings our Lord close to us. Just like when you see, and you, you, we've been having lots of babies in the church here recently, when you see that mother for the first time and you want to go over and get maybe a little bit of a little hold of that child for a second, that's what Mary's doing. She brings close our Lord to us. She magnifies the Lord. By the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, God took on human flesh and dwelt among us. This is why the early church understood Mary to be the Ark of the New Covenant. The Ark of the Old Covenant was a sign that God dwelled among his people in a spiritual sense. He was there. His presence in some way was marked out and set apart. And there was the sign of it in, in the Ark of the Covenant within the tabernacle. But he wasn't there in that personal kind of encounter. But Mary here is the Ark of the New Covenant as the early church fathers so often dwelled upon as they med meditated upon her place in salvation history. Because through Mary, as the Ark of the New Covenant, God comes to dwell with us in bodily form. In bodily form. And after Jesus' ascension, every baptized believer receives the gifts of God's Spirit. We too become God-bearers. Christ-bearers. We, as we heard read this evening, we bear the Spirit of Christ. But why? But what does God magnify then? What does she magnify about the Lord in her hymn of praise? Well, she magnifies the reality that God is the God who sees and redeems, especially the humble, the poor, the brokenhearted. Verse 48, for he looked on the humble estate of his servant. Like with Hagar in Genesis 16, when it seems like everything in life is speaking against God, when the circumstances of life are unbearable or may seem to be unbearable, when you are humbled, whether due to circumstances beyond your control or due maybe to your own sin, God sees you. And he offers you freely his mercy and grace. Just as Mary proclaims, Later, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. God is the God. She's magnifying this God who condescends to the humble, to the poor, to the brokenhearted. 
And just a few chapters after we hear Mary sing this hymn of praise, her son, our Lord Jesus Christ, begins his ministry in the synagogue at Nazareth. And there he declares in fulfillment that he is the fulfillment of Isaiah 61. When he quotes this passage, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Mary was just giving us a foreshadowing of what her son would be all about. God in human flesh, here to proclaim the year of God's favor, the year of God's grace, that God is with you. Are you poor? God's here. Are you enslaved? God's here. Are you brokenhearted? God's here. Mary draws our attention to this eternal truth. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. He redeems the poor. He lifts up the humble. And here's what this means for you and for me. God sees you. God sees you in your humble state, whatever it may be, God sees you. And his desire for you, his desire always for you is to pour out his grace in your life. He wants to come beside you and say, oh, favored one, my presence is with you. Receive my grace. Receive my mercy. And so how does Mary then receive that mercy and magnify the Lord in return? First, she says yes to God's will. She says yes to God's will. In those remarkable lines from earlier in Luke's gospel in verse 38, Mary said, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Who writes anyone a blank check like that? Whatever your word says, that is what it will be for me. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. How does she magnify the Lord? She first says yes to God's will. Second, she recognizes her humble state. In many ways, this is the key to her yes to God's will. It's difficult to accept servanthood, to accept the place of a servant. If you are not humble or do not recognize your humble state before the face of God, it's impossible to give him your yes as a servant of his. Like Mary, we have to see ourselves in our humble state before God. St. Augustine understood this implicitly when he wrote, For those who would learn God's ways, so pay attention. When someone like Augustine, when the great father of the church and the great doctor of the church says something like that, we ought to pay attention for those who would learn God's ways, humility is the first thing. Humility is the second. Humility is the third. Period. Or whatever punctuation he used. Humility is so key. Mary recognizes her humble state before the Lord, and that's key to magnifying God. You might even think of John the Baptist's famous words there in John chapter 3 when Jesus is kind of emerging on the scene and he says, I must decrease and Jesus must increase. 
Apart from that recognition of our humble state as a servant of God, we can never fully give ourselves over and say yes to his will because we are seeking our own good, our own agenda. We have to relinquish ourselves over recognizing our humble state before God. And thirdly here, Mary devotes her entire life. This is how she magnifies the Lord. She devotes her entire life, all that she is, to God and pointing others to her son, our Lord Jesus. She holds nothing back of herself. She devotes her whole person to magnifying and amplifying God. God the Father, God in human flesh, the Spirit of God that descends upon her son, she constantly points away from herself to Jesus. And when Mary sings this song of praise, she is pregnant with our Lord. And pregnancy is an apt image for the all-of-life devotion that she gives to magnifying the Lord. For those of you who have gone through a pregnancy, you know what that's about. It demands everything of you. For those of you who have been around someone who's pregnant, you know what that's about. It demands everything of that person. And so it's a beautiful image of what it is to be a follower of Jesus giving our whole selves over. Everything about our life is working to magnify, to grow, to enlarge the life of another. And this is the image of a, of a disciple. We are always to be making much of God, to be making much of his son Jesus, to enlarging him in our lives, in the lives of others. Mary, as we've mentioned before, became the first disciple, the prototype of a follower of Jesus. She is the first Christ bearer. And through the pages of scripture, she calls out to us even this evening, I think, as a saint, as one's life calls out to another's, directing our attention past herself and onto her son, just as she did to those servants at the wedding of Cana, where she said to them, when she instructed them, do whatever he tells you. That's the summation of Mary's discipleship. Do whatever he tells you. She calls us to a path of discipleship like her own, one marked by a profound yes to God's will, a humble recognition that we are servants of the living God who are called by him to devote our whole person, every aspect of our lives to magnifying our gracious and merciful life-giving God. For he is the one who sees you. He is the one who finds you. Like the good shepherd pulls you out of whatever situation you're in and pours his grace into your life. He loves you. He has favored you. There's this beautiful passage in in Revelation chapter 2, when God speaks to the churches there, and he has this such intimate moment there. This is the God who sees you. This is the God who, yes, he deals with people, with nations, with the church as a whole, but he also focuses in on you as the individual. When he says there to the churches and to those in the church, I will write on a stone a name that will be just between you and me, and I'm going to give it to you, a pet name that I will call you. He sees you. He knows you. He loves you. 
He sees you in your brokenheartedness, in your world-flipped-upside-down state that you may be in. And he is the God who comes near to be with us in whatever state we find ourselves, to deliver us from sin, the world, the flesh, the devil. And he is the one who stays with us always through his abiding spirit. So, dear Christian, make much of God. Magnify the Lord. Celebrate his grace in your life and the life of those beside you in the pew. Yes, even them. Celebrate in the life of St. Mary this day and do whatever he tells you in humility and love and make him known by your life and by your words. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.